Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 113. This episode is with Jermaine McCubbin. Jermaine is the under-23s S&C coach at PSV Eindhoven. And Jermaine came on the podcast to talk about a number of different topics. We spoke about his pathway to um, him working over in Holland. We got uh, into a conversation about the UKSCA and he gave some really interesting thoughts about his experiences and um, thoughts on the UKSCA process. He spoke about the um, game model over in Holland and how it works with the under-23 setup. He spoke about networking, so the importance of networking, but also his approach to networking as well. And then we also touched on preparing youth players to play professionally. So as they step up to the under-23s or the first team, some important considerations that um, Jermaine has in mind and some things that affect his practice that need to prepare them uh, to be ready to perform on the big stage. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Jermaine. It was great to have him on. It's great to get another perspective of a coach working out in Europe, um, which is something that I know you guys have asked for when we've asked for recommendations of guests or topics. So I hope you enjoy this episode. But just on that as well, if you do have any recommendations of any guests or any topics for future episodes, and we have had a few people reaching out recently, so I really do appreciate those, then please reach out. Give us your uh, recommended guests and I'll do my best to get them on the podcast or just any topics that you think need covering or need covering more potentially that we've already touched on. Um, then please just send us a DM or an email. So you can DM us on Twitter or Instagram at footballfitfed or drop us an email, mail at footballfitfed.com. And I also, just depending on when you're listening to the podcast, we are also running a Black Friday sale on our ebook. So all of our ebooks will be discounted right up until Sunday, the 29th of November um, at 11 p.m. And we've also added um, an ultimate Black Friday bundle on our ebooks, which includes every one of our ebooks for only £30. So you can go to footballfitfed.com, click the shop tab, and that'll take you to all our available resources and ebooks. And then if you do, if you are listening to this before the 29th of November, just keep an eye out because all the ebooks will be discounted in the Black Friday sale. So you can go and get yourself a bargain there. But as always, big thank you to you guys for listening to the podcast and please give it a share. But I hope you enjoy episode 113 with Jermaine McCubbin. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 113. I'm delighted today to welcome onto the podcast Jermaine McCubbin. Jermaine, thank you very much for coming on. Nah, absolute pleasure. Thanks for the invitation, Ben. No problem. And I'm, anyone watching on video will see um, where Jermaine is working. So under 23s, S&C coach at PSV Eindhoven um, is your current role. So yeah. Do you want to just take us back, mate, through your career so far and what led you up to the current role? Yeah, absolutely. No problem at all. Um, quite a, an interesting uh, entry into the SNC world. I actually uh, first began and started my education back in 2005. I actually wanted to be a physiotherapist. So SNC was never even on the radar. 
So 2005 to 2008, I'd done a, a sports therapy injury rehabilitation course at the University of Bedfordshire. And then uh, after that, tried to secure land in a role within uh, professional sport. But it was so difficult, you know, because I was, I was coming up against the, the whole, you have to be insured through the uh, HCP. And they actually wanted physios and not sports therapists. So I was really, really frustrated that I felt the course had let me down. Um, no one actually told us, you know, the difficulties of landing a role for a sports therapist. So actually then went into personal training as a result, done that for the next five years, uh, got some really good coaching, was working at David Lloyd's at the time, uh, a lot of tennis, tennis athletes, general pop, lose weight, tone up, uh, <laughs> a word that I hate, but yeah, and some, some sports specific stuff. And then I just became increasingly frustrated with, you know, my income dependent on other people's incomes. It was very seasonal, uh, getting up really early, half five, six a.m. First client, sometimes your last client, nine a.m. Big pause in the afternoon, and you know, five years after that, I just wanted to settle down. You know, um, children, mortgages, but very, very difficult to get any of that being having a volatile income. So I then started to think, okay, let's get some career longevity. What could I actually do? So for, let me try and push the sports therapy stuff a little bit further. Uh, done a few refresher courses just to upskill myself even more. Then as I literally wrote to every single club in London uh, from Premier League all the way down to, to conference for any opportunities and nothing available. And it was again, okay, very frustrating, very frustrating. And then after some time, I just got um, an email from a club that said they'll be interested in having my services. So I was like, okay, fantastic. Uh, went in, saw that they had a, an S&C coach at the time. And uh, from my experiences being personal trainer, I was like, oh, this is something to consider. What's this guy doing? And it was the first time I actually heard the term S&C. So this was like 2010. And I thought to myself, okay, this is something I can, can get on board with. Uh, then I heard about the UKCA and then I started that pathway and then, yeah, ultimately um, led through, had my SNC and my uh, sports therapy, ended up landing a role at, at Brentford Football Club, worked there for, for two and a half years. Um, and then after that, the academy decided to close its doors. I think that was uh, 2016, March 2016. And Anyone that's listened to your podcast before will know that you've had uh, Darren Stern on and you also talked about that uh, in brief. So, yeah, it was uh, made redundant as a result. And then anyone that knows trying to get a job in professional football is so difficult. So after I landed a role there, it was, oh, my God, it's been taken away. What am I going to do now? You know, and fortunately for me, the technical director at the time, he said, listen, You've got your sports therapy. You've got your UKSA accreditation. I know Arsenal women are looking for someone um, could be of interest for you. And this was two weeks after. So I jumped at the opportunity, went and had a, a series of interviews, met the staff there and landed a role at Arsenal women, uh, working predominantly within their, their academy setup from under nines to under 13s. And then progressing through to 16s and above, worked all the way up to the, to the first team, uh, was 
intern, assistant, and then became lead SNC coach there for a period of time. And then during this whole process, I was also, you know, wanting to explore and venture out and see what opportunities were outside of England. So I sent my CV to uh, my, my wife is her whole family live in Holland. So I sent my CV. We knew where we wanted to live to all clubs within a, you know, 120 kilometer radius from where we wanted to live. So I think I contacted 150 clubs, um, got like three replies and then managed to uh, get one from PSV. Then we didn't have anything at the time, but we'll keep your CV on file. Time went on two years down the line. I'd, just got a random phone call that said, would I be interested in the role? So naturally, of course, um, flew over, had a series of interviews, met some staff, met my um, manager, had interviews with him, performance director. Uh, they liked what I was talking about, like the stuff that I could bring to the table and ultimately offered me the role. And uh, here I am, been here since last season, uh, June. So yeah, into one year, eight months here now into my second season and absolutely love it. I think a lot of coaches will relate to that sort of story, won't they? Like the putting letters out, getting nothing back and there might be some at different, uh, different stages of, of uh, their career as well. They might still be at that stage of still not receiving anything. So looking back, would you give yourself any advice if you could speak to yourself like a few years ago when you were going through that process? Would you? Would there be anything you'd do differently or any sort of advice that would stand out? Yeah, it was, it, was, it was an extremely frustrating process because, you know, not only do you contact these clubs, it's just there's no, no feedback whatsoever, you know, for jobs that were hiring and obviously going to clubs that weren't hiring. So it was actually how do you get your foot in the door? You know, I remember speaking to my father-in-law and uh, I, I said to him, you know, maybe, maybe I should just go down to the gates and, you know, see, see the manager and just, you know, bombard him and just give him my CV. And he's like, don't you dare, <laughs> you know, you, you, you don't need to, you, you respect yourself and that opportunity will, will come to you. You know, you don't need to put yourself out, like, out there like that. You're doing fantastic work. And uh, uh, just keep being patient, be diligent, and the right opportunity will come for you. And uh, truth be told, it did. Um, I'm not saying it's going to work for everyone. And I, I, I can completely relate and understand the, the, the frustrations because there's a lot of guys that are doing, you know, sports science degrees, SNC degrees, and yet they're going and they're ending up becoming personal trainers. Nothing wrong with that. And actually, the, the income revenue is, is fantastic. You can... Uh, go work anywhere you want you can control your own hours um, but it's it's very very difficult you know we're, we all know that we're in a saturated market with nine ten thousand people graduating per year but there's just not that volume of jobs and that's where you get the supply and demand with regards to uh, pay discrepancies and people wanted to do internships for free just to get their foot in the door and I can completely understand that because I've I've been an unpaid intern and I've done that for for yeah a year and uh you know as much as i love every aspect of my internship it was yeah i was a glorified water boy and you know cone i used to pick up cones and you know just give out protein shakes you know it wasn't an educational internship so even though i had an internship i wasn't i wasn't learning um so yeah i can understand the frustrations but yeah just keep being patient 
keep knocking on doors and I think networking is the biggest opportunity because like I said, I, I, I contacted 150 plus clubs. Uh, only three got back to me, but of those three, I now work at that one, you know? So I think the biggest bit of advice I can give is if you go into contact and give your, your CV and your credentials out, don't change your phone number because you never know when that phone call might come. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah. You don't even know about Yeah. It. Yeah. I, you know, so don't lose your phone and don't change your phone number because otherwise I wouldn't be sitting here at this particular role right now. <laughs> Could have been so different. So, yeah. Brilliant. And then do you want to give a bit of context? Cause we've mentioned your role. So under 23 is SNC coach, but do you want to get, give a bit of context on how um, the league works for yourself, what your week looks like in, in relation to um, the UK, or, or, uh, yeah. which is where a lot of the coaches will be listening from? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we, we complete, so our main league or our premiership is the Eredivisie, and then we compete in the league below. So although we're under 23s, four under 23s teams, so we've got uh, PSV, Ajax, Utrecht, and RZ Alkmaar. So those four teams, under 23 teams, compete in the equivalent of the championship. So we're playing a full 38-game season. We're competing against full adults, men, who are competing for their livelihoods to go be promoted and play in the Eredivisie. Our week, uh, typically playing uh, uh, tra- training six days a week. Uh, we have a game schedule, which is predominantly two games a week. So we have a 38-game season. Uh, so if we compare that to the Premier League 2, which would be you know UK equivalent, uh, I believe there's only 12, uh, 24, 24 games. So there's a 35, 40% difference in game volume between the two leagues. Uh, along with that, all our predominant, the league is televised. So a lot of our games are on Fox Sports. We have an attendance on average of five and a half thousand um, per game, whereas the Premier League Two is, I think, just over 400. So, not only do you have to develop these players that physically to the to cope with the demands of the game, but they're also getting that external pressure from media, from fans. Um, you know, they make a wrong pass, they get they'll get hammered for it. Uh, they take a poor shot or, you know, the crowd, the crowd are going to boo you. They're going to rile you up. They're going to get involved to put you off your game. So it so closely uh, resembles professional football. Whereas in the UK, I've not worked at Premier, two, Premier League 2 level, but in the UK, it's a bit more behind closed doors and, you know, you don't really get that pressure and, and, and stuff that comes with being a professional athlete. Um, so they're, they're the, the main differences. Uh, which actually, if we look at our under 23s team in comparison to what the first team can do, the league, there's less than 10% difference across uh, all the metrics that we measure that would differentiate between the the division and our and the league that we compete in. So those times when our players have to step up, they're ready to perform. I think that's a great point. And it's, it's one reason why you see so many players from over here go on loan to uh, over to Holland as well, isn't it? Because of that pressure. And it, like you say, it's not just the physical challenges. There's all, all the other side of it as well, which is what we're seeing in lockdown, isn't it? The, diff- the difference yeah. in the game. Yeah, the most definitely. And I think another uh, one of the other big things 
which is different between us and, and, and Premier League Two, is that the average age of our squad is 19 years old. So we've got 19-year-olds playing at under-23 level who then go on to get all that added experience and then actually ready to perform at a younger age. So if you look at our first team, we've got a handful of players which came from the academy setup who are now playing first-team football. So the, the, the path is a little bit more direct. So we actually need to prepare these under-23 players to play football at 17, 18 years old. And that's, that's just highlighted because recently we've just had four 19-year-olds uh, make their first-team debut, three which competed in Europe. And then under us, we've got the under-18s. We have had seven debutants who have played for under-23s, you know, at 17 and 18 years old. So professional football, uh, the route is a lot more direct, but that's only if you have the quality, obviously. Um, but yeah, they're, they're the main differences which we can see at the, this point in time. Well, then with that as well, these young players coming through, obviously this is when your role really kicks in, isn't it? That they have to be physically prepared because if they're stepping up to play against men or whether it's 17-year-olds playing against 20-odd-year-olds, like they need to physically be ready, don't they? So what are some important considerations for you to make sure they're ready to perform um, and, and perform at professional level as well? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, fortunately, we, we, we have a, a head trainer who's who very, very, very believes in strength training and the whole process of developing athletes. So he was a, a for, former gymnastics teacher. So he has a background in some physical education. So he really does see in the importance. And, you know, I'm lucky enough that if we do have a one game week or we play once every 10 days because of the break in uh, fixtures, then we have opportunities to be training in gym two, three times a week consistently. Obviously, if we have congested fixtures, then it's predominantly focused on recovery, but then you still have to prepare um, uh, the substitutes to be able to perform at that level also. The, uh, the demands on the game, like I said earlier, I just touched upon, is the league is so demanding that there's less than 10% variance between us and the first team you know, across, you know, okay, total distance, high intensity distance at uh, uh, high speed running, high metabolic load, these, these kind of metrics. So actually the league is a good test in itself. Okay, bringing that back to what we do in training, okay, we just need to make sure that we ultimately train as we play and enhance performance and decrease the likelihood of injury. And that comes from doing things from, you know, your daily pre-activations to good thorough, uh, warm-ups which prepare you adequately and most importantly having a good squad rotation is going to alleviate some of those issues so we have a squad of 24 at this point in time and we've pretty much had that squad availability throughout the whole season thus far so we've had yeah 90 90 to 95 percent squad availability so far this season which has been you know fantastic thus far because then that helps relieve some some tension when we have two, three games a week, but ultimately we've been able to play with our strongest team. And that's reflective of our position in the league so far. Yeah, brilliant. And I know, um, just to switch gears a little bit, I know you mentioned before about um, UKSCA and you mentioned about going through the UKSCA process and the accreditation. So, and we just had a little chat before we started recording. I think it's really interesting some of your thoughts on UKSCA because a lot of people 
have different opinions and there's all sorts of opinions being battered around on social media at the moment. But I think your views on it, I, I, I really like. Um, and do you want to just discuss your experience to start with going through the process and your thoughts? Yeah, of course. I'm like, I'm like a pendulum. I'm a bit like this at the moment. <laughs> TikTok, TikTok. No, but uh, firstly, when I, when I first got involved and, you know, heard about the UTSCA and, and the workshop that, that they provide, you know, from your program, your plyo speed and agility, your weightlifting components. And uh, what's, what's the fourth one? Um, uh, okay. Planning plan effective performance. Did you say that one? Planning effective programs. You've got plyo speed and agility, weightlifting, weightlifting. and then... Yeah. Okay. Uh, it, it's left me, but some fantastic, uh, you know, practical workshops that you can get involved with and actually, you know, develop your coaching under the guidance of guys that are working at English Institute of Sports, some professional football clubs, and they can actually, that's your first networking opportunity to begin with. Um, but I, I found the process, you know, really, really, really good in terms of the content. But there, it was the, the, the assessment process, which was become more of a, a frustration. So the first time I completed my assessment, I went through the plyo speed and agility component too quick. The second time I went through it, I went through too slow. So I was like, okay, third time, I'll just get, you know, a bit of Goldilocks, you know, get it just right. Then there was another issue. So I left and I was just, you know, deflated every single time thinking, you know, what is required? Like, you know, I question myself as a coach. Um, what can I do to actually, you know, pass this, this, this aspect? Because this is the only thing that's holding me, holding me back. And um, this was actually my first experience to, uh, uh, to networking. So I was just on Twitter and I, you know, just doing a search of, you know, local coaches who had completed the assessment. And I just sent a, a guy called Simon Namby. A, a message explaining my process and he said Jermaine completely understand he's like come down to Lee Valley Athletics track Thursday night nine o'clock and I'll go through it with you and I was like oh brilliant this is you know this is fantastic um went down had a great coaching session took so much away from it from someone who was more experienced had been through the process told me exactly what I needed to know just in terms of okay when you're you know delivering your session just you know, talk aloud and, you know, explain it in so much detail that the actual assessor can hear your, your coaching, your communication, your body language, he just knows what you're doing, you know, so justify everything. Okay, excellent. Took all these points on board and then next time passed. And I was like, ah, oh. so we had a big celebration. And, uh, you know, this is a guy that I just met on Twitter, you know, never two, three conversations and he, he, he offered me support. No, no funding. He didn't want any money. All he asked is that I pay it forward. So he then explained to me it was a similar process. Someone helped him out, and they took no, uh, no money, no, no cash value, and they just said pay it forward. So then now I'm in a position where when someone wants a bit of help or support for me, they offer me some some financial remuneration. I say don't worry, just pay it forward. So it keeps the cycle going, you know. Um, so yeah, been, been accredited for, for a number of years now. And, you know, I think that my biggest gripe was the, the CPD model because I wasn't involved in full-time professional sport, which gave an abundance of CPD, uh, uh points. So I always thought, okay, as a part-time coach, how am I ever going to make enough points 
to make um, to get reaccredited. So it became a little bit of a okay, yeah, you have to go here, you have to go there, and you know the the UKSA conference was given the most amount of points. So it was like okay, every year you have to go to the conference, but it costs so much money that is it actually justifiable, you know, just for your CPD points? Uh, because that's why I actually felt that I was doing it, not because I could take away everything from every uh, lecture, but it was more my purpose of being here. Okay, yes, to get information from one or two uh, great speakers, but the rest is just going through the motions just to get those CPD points. Um, and then I'm, when I moved over to Holland, it was a case of, okay, why do I need this accreditation? So I, I, I then put a tweet out and said to, you know, considering giving up my UKCA, what are people's thoughts? And then I actually spoke to you know, UKCA chairman, uh, Chris Bishop, who was my uh, MSc lecturer. And he said, Jermaine, talk to me. What's going on? So I explained, explained everything in detail. And he's like, listen, I completely understand what you're saying. Um, but this is what we're doing to try and replicate these things. We know that the CPD model is flawed. We know for coaches working abroad, it's not easy to go over and, and attend our conference, conference. So there's a whole internal review about how we can actually best facilitate um, and give the best product for our members, you know. So I was like, okay, fantastic. Give it benefit of the doubt and, uh, you know, I stay accredited because it was so hard to get. I actually don't just want to give it up, you know, because it actually does mean something, especially in the UK, you know. Um, I don't know whether I'll ever come back to the UK, but if an opportunity presents itself and you go into an organization and you don't have it and everyone does, it's a kind of, it's a status, isn't it? Oh, where UKSA accredited, you haven't been there. But if you've got it, it's a kind of like, you know, when you leave the gym and you see someone else with a protein shake, you're like, you know, cheers kind of thing. It's, you know, we've been through it together. You know, we, we know what it's about and how tough it is. So there's, a, there's an immediate level of respect there. You know, so you, you get all that groundwork out of the way of, you know, is he is he's coaching good enough? Is he this? Is he that? So it, it kind of diminishes a lot of questions early on. Uh, the UK IQ, fantastic, absolutely brilliant. You know, use it a lot whilst I'm over here. Um, but as a whole, I, I would encourage anyone to do it. Uh, you know, workshops are not necessarily um, mandatory. But I would highly recommend that you do it from a from a networking point of view with, you know, some fantastic practitioners. You'll learn a lot and you'll take a lot away from it because a lot of the stuff that when you do your personal training qualifications, a lot of this stuff isn't in it. You know, I remember trying to teach uh, a clean and press. After watching a video on YouTube when I was a personal trainer for you know three, four years. I tell you now, if they saw me doing that, they wouldn't even let me out on the public terrible you know to think what am i actually doing because becoming a personal trainer is so different to becoming an snc coach you know and that that pathway um you know if you could become a personal trainer in six weeks just remotely turn up do an exam and leave you know but this is a physical competency test and it is really difficult and yeah i don't want to give it up because it, it became so hard to get that it actually becomes my baby now you know, I, I keep it. And some people say, listen, not needed. What are you doing? It's a waste of time. Do the CSES. But again, long distance, you can pass that. No problem. But that doesn't tell you anything. You know? I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. I just wanted to give you a couple of quick updates on our online community. 
So as I mentioned in the previous episode, we did attach Dr. Laura Bowen's webinar, Prevention is Cheaper Than the Cure, to our online community now. So you can go and watch that on demand if you are a community member. And then I've also delivered a webinar onto the community, which are my top 10 takeaways from the first 100 episodes of the Football Fitness Federation podcast. So you can go and listen to both of those webinars um, available on the community. So if you're a member, just go to footballfitfed.com and just sign in there and you'll be able to access both of those webinars. If you're not already a member, go and check it out. So go to www.footballfitfed.com, click the community tab at the top, If you sign up there, go through the full sign-up process. That will give you one month free on the community. You'll be able to check out all the webinars and presentations that we have available. And if you stay a member after that initial first month, it is only £4.99 per month. We do have a number of webinars upcoming that are going to be uploaded onto the community, as well as when we can get our networking events back up and running. The presentations from those events will also be added onto the community We have also, which we've had for a little while now, got our WhatsApp group up and running. So we're getting some great conversation in our WhatsApp group for the community members. So you'll also be part of that once you become a full member onto the community. So go and check it out if you're not already a member. Footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign up there and you'll get access to our online community. Here is part two of the podcast with Jermaine. Yeah, and on that as well, is there anything compar- comparable in in Holland? Is there anything that's no, no, not and that's and that's one of the things is that once you come here and you know, okay, you you have your your under 18s, your 17s, and you know a couple of intern S and C coaches, but is there a is there a performance pathway like there is in England for accreditation or you know governing bodies or anything? Is no, there's there, there's a gap in the market there. So it's actually I could use some of that experience and content from my time in England to actually to put on a, a you know, a workshop, some frame, uh, get a framework set up to actually, this is what the standards we want to adhere ourselves to. So, you know, I can actually take that up, not repackage it and set it on, but, you know, go through a similar process to make sure we're doing things, do the fundamental things, do them well and do them consistently. Yeah, brilliant. And you've you've referred to networking a few times. And I refer back to one of the really early episodes on the podcast with Sam Joyce. And he he talked about level one networking. And by level one networking, he was speaking about what we've all done, sending letters out to clubs. Um, but then a lot of practitioners will leave it at that. But you've proved that that wasn't the case, reaching out to um, Simon, wasn't it? Um, and actually yeah. going out, meeting him and actually learning. So that's that's why he's talking about level two, level three, level four networking. So what are some other things that you've maybe done or that you recommend to go past being just like a level one networker? Well, the thing, I, I think networking is always something that's going to be, um, you know, fundamental in your role as a practitioner because science is always evolving. Science is always progressive. That even, you know, 10 days ago, I was networking, you know, Um Level one, I, I completely understand in terms of, yeah, send, send information out, but be present and don't, don't be afraid of rejection, you know? Um, I'll give you an example. I was supposed to attend, um, Matt Tabernard came over and he, he done a, a conference at the 
the equivalent, the KMVB, which is the equivalent of the FA. So he done a presentation on the control, the TCC continuum. And I, I booked on, but unfortunately last minute I couldn't go. So, you know, a colleague went and he said, oh, I've got an English practitioner, really want to come, was un, unavailable. Um, he'll send you an email later. So I, I, I sent uh, Matt an email just wanted to pick his brains on, you know, uh, on one player we had, um, you know, he had a bit of an injury history, just wanted to, you know, find out because we didn't have force plates. We didn't have any anything at the time which would help to objectively quantify um, rehabilitation. Whereas Matt's, you know, methodology and philosophy is predominantly objectively measured. So I wanted to pick on the brains of how would you progress that without having any um, data or objective information available. And he's like, let's jump on a call. And I was like, fucking hell. Apologies about language. It was like, I was like, Jesus Christ. So I actually got a little bit starstruck because, you know, someone in the field that you, you, you think very highly of, I was like, okay, this is, this is fantastic. So we jumped on a call and we spoke for over an hour and he just gave us some really, really good advice some good, good guidance. Uh, you know, he's been WhatsApping me since just checking in, see how things going. Sent me a barrage of papers that you know he's he's used and how he rationalizes things, and you know it's, it's been absolutely brilliant. And uh, we recently got some some new force plates, and he just recently released a paper as well. And I just wanted to ask him a few questions surrounding it, and you know, reply straight away. This is what I've done. This is why I've done it. Just explained in a little bit more detail some of the uh, the methods in his paper and he was like listen if you need anything please contact me and it's like absolutely brilliant you know mm. and if if you don't take the opportunity if you don't you know jump at these chances to what's the worst you can get a no you know, yeah. or a no reply but i've been having no replies from when i was trying to get in this industry for many many years so what do you lose nothing mm. you know you've got more to gain than you have to lose so i would encourage you yeah just get out put yourself out there and uh, you know some, something will come out. I think that's a great point. And it, a lot of people, I think, would look at people like Matt and think, oh, he's not going to get back to me and he's yeah. just reaching out. But it's not, is it? And I've seen that with a podcast. Like, I've reached out to people before, not expecting a reply. Suddenly you get a reply and it's like, oh, wow. But we do, we just need to step out, don't we, and put ourselves out there. And, I mean, we're in a good situation. We can reach out on Zoom. We can, there's social media. We've got so many platforms, haven't we, that we can reach out to people on that we've got to take advantage yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. And and to be honest, you, you get two types of people in this world, those that are willing to share and help or those that are just going to be a closed book. And, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the best example I can give of that is on uh, ResearchGate. Um, I was doing some reading. I came across, you know, a reference, but it was a book chapter. Okay, looked on ResearchGate, book chapter, can see the author, sent him a message. Is it possible that I can have a read? He says, Absolutely not. It's a book chapter, not available to share via ResearchGate. But I also sent another author the same uh, uh, same message. Absolutely no problem, Jermaine. Here's the whole book. <laughs> and it was like, are you actually kidding me? Yeah. You know. And I actually put a tweet out. I said, listen, there's two types of practitioners in this world: A and B. Mm. Don't be A. You know, just uh, just be willing to share. And that's one of the good things I think about our industry is that. There is an abundance of people who are willing to share and share openly. You know, uh, John Life, XL Tricks for Sports, anything you need to know from, you know, a novice up to experience of using, you know, XL to do wellness, 
dashboards, GPS profiles, that's all there. Adam Virgil, ask him, you know, put some stuff out, send him an email, openly send you the file, you know. And then there's, there's a lot of guys which are doing that, you know, whereas you take that in any other industry, they're not going to give you anything. Even no. the personal training industry, if someone put a nutrition document and you said, oh, can you send me that? Yeah, 70, 80 euros, no problem at all. Um, you know, so I do think it's, as, as an industry, we are very, very willing to share. And, and that's what you, I think you have to do as a practitioner yourself. So if someone wants to contact me asking for information, share, because I know what it's like to be on the, the other end and taking knockbacks, you know? Yeah, yeah 100%. If I can help out in any way, shape or form, I will. But if I can't, I'll say I can't, but I might point you in, a, in another direction. Yeah, which is, which is equally as valuable, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. You never know what will come from it. Because with that, a lot of it comes down to ego, doesn't it? Especially when you're talking about personal training. Like the reason a lot of people don't want to share or they want to just um, charge you for certain things is the ego getting in the way and, that, and then not wanting to, like, like you say, share their knowledge, their experiences. Yeah. Everything I know is the information passed down. Mm. You know, I've, I've not made anything up. I've not put a patent on anything. So it's all, it's all information that, you know, comes and goes around. Yeah. There's nothing that I don't know, or I know, sorry, that I'm going to give you that you don't know. What I might give you is a little bit more, uh, you know, be a little bit more critical thinking about something or another, but the information I have, I'm openly willing to share because you can, you can find this information yourself if you do an extensive extensive search you know all the information i have is readily available i think the other great thing on that is which what we come across on our network meetings is when practitioners talk to one another and they're open with one another they actually justify a lot of work that they're doing because they realize other people are doing it as well don't they so it's not always the case of someone saying well don't do that do this it might just be that they say oh yeah we do that and this is how we do it and maybe you can make this little tweak to it so there's there's ways that we can learn from both sides isn't there I always refer to it. It's like cooking, right? You can, Gordon Ramsay can give you a recipe and you can go cook that dish. No problem at all. Jamie Oliver can give you that same recipe. It's going to taste completely different. Mm. You know, it's not to say that one's better than the other. It's just adding a different flavor. You know, you might take those recipes and add a little bit more salt, a little bit more pepper, a little paprika. You might do something. So it becomes a little bit more yourself you know so you always have to okay take the information how does it apply to your field uh, or, or within your setting and depending on the context you may change one or two things to make it actually work better for you you know because there's not always the equipment or the facilities or or, or the staffing numbers to be able to do exactly as another practitioner is doing so you have to be able to adapt to provide something similar and give that but still maintaining and giving a high quality of service yeah definitely and just before we move on to a few um quick fire questions Duane, i was just going to ask you what are some of the biggest challenges you face in your role currently so i think it's interesting in the under 23s role because we've had a few practitioners that sit in that role and they they've discussed a few challenges but just generally as well what are some of the sort of standout challenges that you face i think the uh, the first time when i came was was language of course naturally you know um obviously living in holland so uh dutch speaking but uh, at the same time everyone around me does speak english which is which is fantastic but i put the the pressure 
pressure on myself or the onus on myself to actually learn the language of the land. You know, for me, I think it's very important because if you can then speak and articulate and understand from the, the, the mother tongue, actually, one, you get a little bit more respect that you're trying. And two, you're not going to miss out on some of the other things that, you know, with uh, uh, the social aspect. So making sure that you're not isolated, fully submerged and, you know, start to learn the language so you don't miss out when you're at lunch and there are Dutch conversations going on and everyone's laughing and you're just sitting there like, what's going on here? You know, so now you can understand and, you know, you can laugh along because being an S&C coach, you, you know, working within a team is that what a lot of people want to do. But if you're working in a team and you're isolated, it's not going to be fun and it's not going to work out long term for you. So, yeah, fully submerge yourself and, uh, you know, learn the law of the land. Don't be naive to think, OK, yeah, a lot of people speak English. I'm just going to speak English. So I'd rather make those mistakes and people correct me. Um, but now I'm, I'm at a level where I can, you know, do my work proficiently within, you know, with, it, with speaking the language. So, you know, albeit in a gym, conditioning on the gym, uh, uh, physical preparation, I can do that side of things in Dutch. And I'm understanding more and more and more. Um, all meetings are in Dutch, so I can actually, you know, pick up a lot more and understand more okay replying in english at times but anytime i can i'm, I'm speaking dutch so that's that's one of the things I i'll definitely advise and recommend and any other sort of key challenges that stand out or is that that the main one really uh obviously yeah congested fixtures you know you mm. could play you can play six games like for example our our next barrage of fixtures we've got five games in 19 days on the horizon wow. so that's that's a challenge within itself so it's one keeping the guys um you know physically well during this period of time there, there's going to be times when they're going to come in the tide so it's actually pushing them or encouraging them you know to to for them to understand the positives that are going to come at the end of it you know okay you might be tired today you might be a little bit sore but it's not just give us what you can give us you know but still give us that quality give us the desire the intensity the determination but uh that that being said don't have an ego you know my my number one thing is excuse my friends don't be a dick mm. you know don't be a dick don't have an ego don't be a dick so be adaptable be flexible because just because you've got your reps and set schemes put down on paper doesn't mean you have to do it like that. Mm. You know, have to understand the law of individual differences and you're not playing the sport. So yes, you might have trained and you might have done this cycle yourself, or you might have been uh, exposing yourself to repeated volumes or intensity, but you've not done an intense training session for an hour, hour and a half on the pitch about a lunch and then have to go. And yeah, and you'll see that in training. Some people can give and some people, yeah, can't give so much. Do you hammer them? No, you just tell them, keep the quality high, keep the intensity. We'll, we'll adjust this, this and this, but still be thorough in your application. I think that's a great point. You don't play the sport. I think it's a top, top point. Yeah. Probably what, probably something that's forgotten a lot of the time, isn't it? Yeah, of course. And, you know, a, a lot of coaches may say, oh, I used to play sport, it, you, know, you know, when they were younger or stuff, but you're not playing sport now mm. and the demands of the game are so much higher. The pressures are so much higher. 
You know, yeah. I think what, what's the statistic in England is less than 1% of academy players go on to make it professional. Yeah. You know, that's frightening. That's frightening. Mm. But, you know, you're not playing the sport. Okay, we can understand the demands of the sport as much as we want. But unless you play and you train and you play, you, sorry, you play twice a week, you train and you add gym sessions on that, cognitive loads, there's going to be fatigue. And you can say, oh, yes, planned overreaching and things like this. You have to have your ear to the ground and you have to listen and you have to be able to adapt. So always plan, but always plan in pencil, you know, because the, the micro cycle will change rapidly. So it's be, yeah. be proactive in those, in those situations rather than reactive. Brilliant. And we'll just move on, Jermaine. I, I ask a few questions at the end of the podcast now. We're just adding a few quick fire questions in. So uh, I'll throw a few, a few of these at you. But first okay. one, what's your biggest strength as a practitioner? Oh, um, I think adaptability, you know, to, like I said, be, be proactive in situations and, and try not to react to things. Uh, wasn't always like that as a coach. You know, I was very reactive and I've learned to become proactive and, you know, plan and become organized. You know, I think they're, they're key attributes that, you know, really stand out because, if, you know, you always plan the day ahead that, you know, whether that's, you know, players coming in for who, who's with who, who's taking rehab, who's where, who's on pitch, who's in gym, um, knowing where all your players are, what they're doing, and communicating that across departments. Players love that. So, you know, for example, we had a, we had a, we had a player who hit a new personal best in his, his runway sprints. And, you know, tell him immediately, from the live feedback, listen, that's a new PB for you. Communicate that around the rest of the team. And they say, hey, fantastic. I heard you hit a new PB. It's like, well, how do you know? It's like, listen, we're always talking. We're always communicating. So, you know, it makes them feel a little bit, oh, they're not just a number or a player in the academy. And we care and we share information. We, we talk about you. We plan the days. And we're very, very thorough and very diligent. And then the next one. Um, and I know this is hard for a lot of people to narrow it down, but who were some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Oh, um, yeah, quite, quite a difficult one, to be honest. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, it's not particularly anyone in, in S&C or anything like that. Like, I, I, I was in a position where, you know, during my career, I didn't have a mentor and, so I couldn't just pick up the phone. So I can't name one, two, three individuals that I could bounce ideas off. So, and I think that's one thing that probably a lot of new coaches will be able to relate to is that you see a lot now, oh, you need a mentor or get a mentorship. And I didn't have that. And uh, to be honest, uh, I still don't have it. <laughs> uh, but I do bounce ideas off, you know, sports scientists, other physical coaches, first team. So within the constraints of our environment. Yeah, we share information. Um, but yeah, to, to highlight one or two people is difficult. I suppose, you know, Simon, I would have to say, because he, he, he got me on this path and, you know, he, he really highlighted what's important in this industry. Uh, my MSc lecturer, uh, Anthony Turner, who was actually my college lecturer back in 2003, to see what he was doing back in 2003 and to see how the, the cream always rises to the top. Um, now he's, he's, you know, UKCA, you know, uh, um, 
at the top there, doing some fantastic stuff, um, putting out some fantastic research articles, has an applied uh, background, but also can break that, back that up with some practically, uh, some practical skills and theoretical knowledge. Um, yeah, they're, they're probably about the key ones, to be honest, you know, but there's, there's not one person I go to to bounce ideas off is, I would network and if I don't have the answer, I, I think everyone is available to me that I just, yeah. I'll, I'll send an email, I'll send a tweet and if you get back to me, great. But otherwise I have to, you know, search and, and, and find the answers myself, which isn't a bad thing, but it, it's more time consuming. Yeah. No, and, I think... and in this industry, you don't always have that amount of time to be, to be doing that, but okay. No, I think it's a great point. Really good point. The strength of your network is so important, isn't it? Um, yeah. And then the next one, mate, is there a bit of CPD that stands out for you recently? So whether that being a webinar, a podcast, an article, a blog, like, is there anything that sort of stands out? Yeah, for, for me recently, I've just done the um, FIFA medical diploma uh, in football medicine. So, so for me, I would, I would say, you know, that's, that's definitely something that should be considered, although it's a bit more directed towards clinicians. Uh, I think there's a lot of good performance stuff in there. And, you know, if, if I as a performance coach, or sh shall I say, of a lot of medical personnel are required to do SNC within their rehabilitation, then for me, why would it not be applicable to have um, the clinical side of things with my uh, strength and conditioning? So it improves departmental communication gives you a greater understanding to the constraints that um, they're working on or working with, uh, improves uh, conversations, which ultimately um, comes down to player welfare and making sure that we can do the best possible job in the fastest yet safest possible way. You know, so I would, I would very uh, highly recommend that course to, to anyone uh, to, you know, you don't have to complete it as modules. You can take it in your own time. Um, definitely definitely something that I would recommend for sure brilliant and then just a final couple what do you think the most important trait is to have as a coach um, be friendly but not friends so you know I'm, a lot of the players I can, I can relate to them you know I can, uh, I can have a laugh with them I can have a joke with them but ultimately you know you be friendly and you make you try and make all of them feel like they're best friends but they make you make them feel like they're their favorite you know and i i have a lot of the boys thinking like ah oh, i'm your number one or i'm your number one so that's fantastic that means i'm doing i'm doing it right and making you feel like you you are that priority which you are but don't be friends and you don't cross that line you know so you still have that professional boundary so when you when you need to demand something from them they're ready to deliver. So for me, be friendly, but not friends. And then just to flip that, what do you think the most important trait is from a player's point of view? Um, yeah, be, be coachable and listen, listen to, um, you, have to, you have to listen to understand, not just to hear, you know, because it, it's one thing, don't don't go through the motions. Yeah, that, that's probably the better, better one for me. Don't go through the motions. Everything you do, do with quality. You know, even if that's, you have 20 minutes for, for a pre-activation in the morning, you know, 
don't come in and just sit down and, you know, foam roll half-heartedly or, you know, stretch without a little bit of conviction or, you know, do a box jump with, you know, with no intent. You know, just everything you do, do it with intensity, do it with conviction because there's always someone there that is doing it like that. Don't be the guy that doesn't, you know, because career longevity is, is, is important. So, you know, you have to do, do the little things well and then the big things will ultimately happen. You are what you repeatedly do when no one is watching, you know, so hold yourself to a high standard. Brilliant. For sure. Jermaine, this is brilliant. Absolutely no. quality. There's loads in this one. Um, <laughs> you've mentioned about coaches reaching out and obviously having conversations. So do you want to just give any social media links or anything like that where they can get hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. So it's my uh, full name, Jermaine, and then PT. Uh, same for, for Instagram as well. Instagram is a little bit more um, personal. Um, so you can see what I'm like as a human being. <laughs> uh, a little bit more professional on Twitter. And LinkedIn as well, full name, Jermaine McCubbin. Brilliant, mate. Well, thank you very much for giving up your time coming on. And we'll... Uh, yeah, absolute pleasure. And best of luck for the rest of the season. Thank you very much, Ben. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you to Jermaine for coming on the podcast. I think it's always great to hear the perspective of different coaches working in different leagues and also in different roles in Jermaine's case as well with the women being in charge of under 23s S&C. Um, go and give him a follow on Twitter. He's at Jermaine PT. So um, Jermaine is spelled J-E-R-M-I-M-A-I-N-E and then PT on the end. So go and give him a follow and keep up to date with what he's got going on. Takeaways from me from this one. Um, there are some main takeaways, but some of the, the others that I, I took away from it is that one of them is that you're not playing the sport, which we need to keep in mind that obviously the focus needs to be on the player um, and we can we can learn from the player as much as they can learn from us as well. Planning pencil, which I know is a really simple phrase, but I think it's a great point that things change. Um, and then I've also wrote down, which is the title of this episode, We Care and We Share. And this is probably my biggest takeaway from this episode, Jermaine's thoughts on the UKSCA and where he spoke about keeping the cycle going, keeping that UKSCA cycle going, giving your experiences to other coaches, coaches that haven't necessarily been through the UKSCA process, um, but giving your advice and passing on what you've learned from other coaches as well. And I think that was absolutely invaluable for coaches to take away from this one. Um, because I think it's such a great point. Jermaine's obviously someone that has reached out to a lot of different coaches and got some great advice along the way. So why shouldn't he pass it on to others? And I think that's what he was talking about in the podcast. And I think that was a main takeaway for me. But as always, I'd love to hear what you guys thought of it. Um, It was great to chat with Jermaine, but please reach out. Let us know what your takeaways were from this episode. And as always, I ask a massive favour that you please do share the show. Pop it on your Insta stories, your Twitter, wherever you can share it. Please share it out with as many people as you can. Um, And also, if you've not left us an iTunes review, just head over to iTunes, click the review, five-star review, and just just leave us a short comment on your favorite show, your favorite guest, your favorite topic. Um, It'd be great to hear from you and also to try and boost our reviews a little bit. So I really would appreciate that. 
But as always, big thank you to listening to the, uh, to you guys for listening for the podcast. I really appreciate your listens, and we'll speak to you again next week in episode 114.